You are listening to the Antler and Feathercoat Podcast. Hey guys, what's going on? Vince here, and welcome back to another Antler and Feathercoat Podcast, the podcast for new and adult onset hunters. This week, we're going to talk more about effective public land scouting because for a lot of you guys out there, deer season is officially underway. I've been seeing velvet deer pictures, mule deer, pronghorn, elk. Looks like hunting season's finally here, boys, and I am super excited for that, and I know you are too. But if you're like me, no matter what I do in the woods, I seem to still question if I'm scouting the right way for whitetails, specifically for big bucks. Um, Do you guys ever get the same feeling? Like, do you wonder if you're actually looking for the right deer sign or if you're even setting up in the right areas? Do you lack confidence in your ability to even find areas where deer might be? Do you ever wonder if you're being too aggressive or too conservative? Being a new hunter, I'm trying to learn everything I can about this whole big game we call hunting, and specifically, how to scout for big bucks. It's a skill that I'm not even close to mastering, and I don't know that I ever will, but I know a guy who I think has, and I cannot wait to talk to him tonight. He is an absolute hunting beast. As a matter of fact, he is the hunting beast, the big buck serial killer. Please welcome to the show, Dan Infault. Dan, how you doing, man? Good. How you doing? Good, good. So I have spent the last three years trying to figure out this hunting game, and I've mentioned before there were three channels that I basically learned how to hunt from. Um, One was the hunting public. Uh, The other one was a lot of DIY sportsmen. And then the third one was you, the hunting beast, Dan Infault. Um, I'm really excited to get you on here. You're you're one of the most respected big buck hunters on the planet. Um, So I couldn't think of a better person to talk to about scouting, especially for a new guy who's not really sure what they're doing or they're just not confident in what they're doing. Um, I wanted to get you on here because you after watching you on video after video, you know how to find deer and you know how to find big deer. Like I told you before, I'm going to say a quick prayer and then we'll just hop into these questions. Sounds good. All right, Lord, um, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice on the cross in our place. Um, without Jesus, we, we had no future. Um, we were just completely lost and damned to hell, but because of what he did on the cross, we can now have a relationship with you. Um, and I'm just so thankful for Dan. I'm thankful for his willingness to come on the show and share all the the knowledge that he has. And, uh, I just want to glorify you through this show. Um, I want to help get more people into your creation. And, um, we just ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen. All right. I'm going to find it hard to believe that people listening don't know who you are, but just for those who might not, where are you from and kind of how did you get into hunting in general? I'm from southeastern Wisconsin. I've always lived here my whole life. Um, I grew up here. um, I'm in my uh, mid 50s, so I grew up in a different time Mm -hmm. than a lot of the listeners probably. And, uh, you know, hunting was for food and uh, I went out and got lots of food and taught me how to hunt. And uh, I just kept progressing into big bucks and I had a passion for it. So I've done quite well over the years because of that passion and drive. Yeah. So I think if you guys, if you don't know who Dan is, you've definitely seen him before. There's one picture that comes to mind where he's standing in front of kind of like a barn and there are, I don't know how many, 30 plus, I don't know how many mounts there are, but it is just covered in just gigantic buck mounts. And I would find it really hard to believe that you've never seen that picture. That's kind of an iconic picture, and it's it's really, really awesome. What kind of stuff do you specifically look for when you're starting to scout and break down a, pu- a piece of public land? Like, what are what kind of sign are you looking for that makes you say, I need to set up here? Well, um, there's different ways to scout. So, you know, generally my first... Uh... My first look at a property um, isn't on foot like you're like you're assessing to. Um, it's usually a look at a map, you know. Um, so I glance over maps of properties and uh, decide on a property based on what I'm seeing on maps. And then I do drive-bys, and uh, then I'll go. Then I'll dive in. And what's making me dive into a um, a property is. Uh, you know, certain aspects of the, the type of terrain that's in that area of the country, um, wherever I'm going, like in my home home area, 
we've got a high population of hunters and uh, this area gets pounded. I'm running between a bunch of major cities and stuff. And even though I live in the country, there's a lot of very populated areas and the, the public land gets a lot of pressure. So I find that the uh, mature bucks, uh, when you find them on public land here, they're always in very thick, nasty, wet areas where people doing deer drives and stuff can't kill them all because there's a lot of people in this area. So if you got anything that's kind of open or even like hilly or wooded, there's no big bucks there in this section of the state. So here I'm going to, you know, um, look for bucks that are isolated by water out in swamps. I look for the same thing if I go into the north woods because wolves tend to put those bucks into water. Um, they'll be in little, you know, thick, thick cover that's wet. And, uh, you know, when I go to other places like hill country, that gets a little different than I'm looking at uh, elevations and leeward sides and, and stuff like that. So it really varies on where I'm going. Um, can you be a little more specific exactly what you're yeah, looking so, for? So I guess just starting with your process of checking out mapping, what what are you specifically looking for in a terrain feature that makes you want to go check it out? Like, I, I, I think a lot of guys don't probably don't understand how to read topographical maps or things like that. Um, I think when the term e-scouting gets thrown out, I think a lot of guys, especially newer guys, I know I would kind of go around a map and just kind of guess like, oh, you know, for whatever reason, this area looks like it'd be good. And then you go and check it out and it's there's no no sign to be seen anywhere. So I guess let's just focusing in on, say, the Midwest or Wisconsin. What on a map makes you want to go check that out? What sticks out to you? So if I'm in the swampy terrain of Wisconsin, I'm uh, I'm generally not looking at a topo map. I'm looking at uh, an aerial if I'm looking at uh, swampy cover. So uh, I'm looking for uh, islands. Uh, I'm looking for uh, transitions. What I mean by transitions is edge. I think a lot of beginning hunters think that uh, all the biggest bucks are in the middle of thick. They're way out in uh, dense stuff. And that ain't always true. They're usually creatures of edge. They live on the edge of something. Now that might be out in the middle of something, but they're still gonna be on the edge, whether it's the edge of an island, Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, a transition break. However, um, most of the, uh, I shouldn't say like, I'm not alluding to all of them, but more than, more than not, I find the biggest bucks in overlooked spots, spots where people would never even think that there's a deer there. I kind of allude to, um, if, uh, you take that public property and, um, all those hunters out there were hunting you. And they're trying to kill you where would you hide where they wouldn't find you and then if that has the type of terrain that uh that deer like that's where i'd look first so i'll take a i'll take a map of of a big property and i'll cross out everything where i think people go the remaining five or ten percent is usually where i look what kind of stuff like what do you in terms of where you don't think someone's or where you think people are going to go is that generally a radius around the parking lot or what kind of things make you think people are probably pounding and pressuring that area really hard. I'm not even wasting my time with that. Well, um, stuff that pheasant hunters hit, I'm not, I'm going to avoid, you know, like some people think, well, they're in CRP or they're in grass, but you know, if, if it has pheasant pressure, you're going to avoid it. So I'm looking for stuff in between, um, parking lots along the road where there isn't a parking lot there, but it's right next to the road. Nobody parks in a parking lot and walks alongside the road and hunts beside the road 400 yards down. Nobody does. You, you watch how people, it's just human instinct to either go out a little ways or a long ways, but you don't go alongside the road, right? Right, right. Um, another one is if you just got like one little patch that's there, you know, kind of isolated by the, you know, by a roadside or something that everybody walks past or a trail pulls them past. Um a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, when it does get to be in, you know, more in the middle of an area, it's usually more where you got to cross deep water. You got to, it's a um, problematic to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, those types of areas tend to hold bucks. So for either really remote 
are so obvious nobody touches it kind of thing and the in-between just seems to be pounded yeah yeah and i've seen i've heard you talk on videos before about uh you took a fairly large buck right by a parking lot didn't you a few years back and yeah um, it was one of the very biggest ones i ever shot was within eyesight of my truck you could you could have threw a rock at my truck and hit it in a major parking lot that's insane how do you so i guess if you're looking at a a situation like that because I remember after I watched that video of you, I kind of started thinking about, hey, there's all of this land, like you're saying, on the on the sides of the roads where I know people are not going just because of the way the parking lots are and just the habits of general hunters. And I, I did dive into some of those areas, and lo and behold, I found rubs everywhere. There were trails. But I'm sure with the way that I did it, I pro- if there was something in there, I probably bumped it out. So I'm curious when you like for that particular buck, how do you get Intel on that without blowing that area out? Cause it's usually, I mean, it's not like it's going to be a giant area where you're, you're checking out if it's just down the road, kind of just off the road, or like you said, yeah, it's usually it, just an acre or two. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you effectively scout something like that without blowing it up and ruining the spot? Well, there's several, several scenarios to that in the buck that we were talking about, I, uh, I noticed the buck. It wasn't a place at the time that I hunted. Um, I was just looking at the area and I saw the buck in the evening next to the parking lot in the brush. And, uh, so then what I did was I started glassing them on a regular basis, watching them, um, trying to use like a, a plane vehicle people wouldn't recognize. Um, and, waited for the right winds and stuff to go in and and just I got an idea where he was coming from and stuff and just slipped to right where he was coming to and uh, I was able to look at it from angles too because there's like a trail that pulled all the hunters way back and I was able to go down that trail and look at it from a different angle and see okay well there's a tree I could get into kind of thing and um, I actually got into a willow tree where I didn't have to put a stand up but uh, um, in a lot of cases uh, I will spring scout those, those places. So I'll go in there in winter time. And a lot of times in winter time, the deer aren't even there. They move out to drier areas or, you know, a lot of the cover goes down in those areas, Mm -hmm. but you still see the sign. You see the old rubs you were talking about. You still see where the trails were. You can see them, even if there's snow underground, you can tell where the trails are and you can actually see the beds. You'll see the round places where, where the vegetation's all flat and once you know where they're bedded and stuff in the spring and you pick out your trees and stuff, then you can plan a route in there. And that's the best way to do it is in spring. But there's plenty of times in season where I'll go someplace I've never been before. I travel a lot to hunt. I like trying new areas um, where I, I have not, you know, pre-looked at that. Maybe I glanced at a map. A map will tell me a lot. I can look at it and, and through all the years of looking at beds, I can pretty much guess where they're going to be coming from. But you, you also kick up satellite deer like those and stuff that bed closer in. So you have to be careful about how you do things and when you go in. But I'll take an educated guess and I'll follow the train back and the cover back and try to come in from the right direction. I mean, you can't just walk straight into it if you're right alongside the marsh. You might have to circle and come in from the road or might have to come in from the back, depending on how it lays out. And take your best guess to where the bucks are bedded and take a shot. And, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? You spook some deer out of there and you learn a thing or two. In your experience, if you go in there and you're, you know, you just get a little bit too aggressive with it and you bump them out, do you generally find that those bigger mature bucks will come back? And usually how long do you wait until you go back after that buck if you do bump it? And sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. Um, I find that, uh, uh, and this is going to sound a little odd, but I find the actual mature bucks uh, they seem to come right back. They, they're a little more locked into these spots where if you're hunting something that's two or three years old, where it's still a really good buck, but it doesn't have that age behind it. Those deer tend to really vacate an area when you, when you bump them. Um, but the big ones seem to have been bumped before they've learned a thing or two and they know how to evade it, you know, move out of the way and come back later, but they get harder to kill too. They start monitoring those spots where you were. Yeah. You know, they smell where you've walked, where you were at, and they kind of know that, and then they kind of watch it. 
so they, they're, they're not easy to kill, but they're harder to bump out of there. Yeah. And another thing that I've, I've heard you do and you kind of alluded to earlier, do you have like a different car and things like when you go and scout in these parking lots, I can't remember what it was specifically, but you were talking kind of about like making yourself not appear like a hunter and mm -hmm. not, I mean, how did, how did you get started on that? Was it just people kind of started to know who you are and you had the reputation, so you didn't want them to see you there in your car and be like, oh, he's here, so I'm going to start hunting this like crazy. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, a little of that. And I've noticed that hunters notice other hunters too. Um, and uh, uh, like you're alluding to, I have a reputation around where I live. So if uh, people see my truck in a spot or something, that spot gets a lot of pressure the next few days. Yeah next few weeks so um i try to uh uh use other vehicles and stuff um i have some stuff available i don't really talk too much about it because otherwise people yeah. figure that out too right but uh a lot of it is just because hunters notice hunters in areas and they'll try something because they see somebody there yeah you know um especially uh, novice hunters that um are new to the sport they don't really know where to go they don't they're, they're kind of guessing and they see a guy go in there and they figure, well, if he goes in there, there must be a good spot because I don't know any better. And, and when you're hunting near the road and stuff, a lot of those novice hunters are more afraid to go real remote in the woods and they right. want to hunt closer to the road. So when they see a spot that you're using that's closer to the road, they tend to go sit there and it's public land. They can sit where they want. So you probably don't want to give that information away. And another thing is, is uh, there's a very select few people that I'll, ask to help me with it, getting a deer out i'd rather do it myself than than have somebody that uh might be talking about where i was going and stuff like that but now these days um most of the spots i hunt get figured out i mean when you have 60 or seventy thousand people watch you kill a deer on video somebody recognizes something right and uh the next year there's always a bunch of people in there so I just get used to just uh, always moving around and trying new areas and stuff. But I kind of like that. That's my thing is uh, I've gotten pretty good at going to like spots I know real well and killing deer. And it just doesn't seem to be a thrill for me. Mm -hmm. I like I like trying new spots, new swamps, new marshes, new areas, doing the scouting and figuring out just exactly what you're asking me about this, the scouting. That's my love. You know, I think when I was young, I loved killing deer. But as I get older... I found that it's the journey, the, the path, you know, when you yeah. actually kill one, it's kind of anticlimactic. It's, it's kind of a sad feeling. Um, it's almost like you're killing a friend. Right. It sounds weird, but it's, it's right. really true, especially if it's one you've been hunting for years, like the one that I got last year. Um, but the journey, the hunt for them is the thrill. So yeah. um, if you just go hunt a spot and kill a deer every year, it, there really isn't nothing to that there's it's, it's just like sitting over a food plot on a, on a farm, you know, right. it's, it's just killing. So to actually go find an animal in a new area and hunt them down is kind of more my thrill. Have you found since, so, I mean, you've been hunting for, for years and years and years. Have you noticed a difference in since say YouTube's gotten really big and, you know, guys like yourself and the hunting public and, you know, seek one and all these really big YouTube channels. Have you noticed uh, more people on public land than, than in previous years or kind of like what you were saying, more people in areas that you've just not normally saw seen hunters over the years because, you know, it's preached, go deep, go here, go there. And a lot of us that are new are just kind of like, okay, I guess we'll go check it out. But what kind of an increase of, of people on public land have you seen as the internet's popularized public land hunting? So that's an interesting question. And um, if I can start that going back to my childhood, when I, when I was young, public land was pressured beyond belief, way more than now. Really? Way more than now. Everybody hunted. It, it was, you know, I mean, they'd close down schools during gun season. Yeah. Um, half the kids would be off for rut, you know. Everybody hunted. And then it started going away. It started getting unpopular and uh, animal rights activity and stuff picked up and it became unpopular to kill things and something you're supposed to be quiet about and kind of went away. And then it got popular to go do the farm type hunting mm. where everybody's rich or whatever. Right. <laughs> they lease or they hunt and it was hard <laughs> for the regular guy. And public lands um, 
started picking up very rapidly in the last few years, especially with the rise of the hunt in public. Um, you know, and I've been preaching this stuff for years and it's been slowly rising, but I've never done this, quit my job and do it full time like the hunting public did. Right. And they did, they, they've done a great service for all hunters by showcasing what they do. Um, so, I mean, I mean, they, they're doing a lot, but the one thing I notice above and beyond the pressure, I'm not seeing that dramatic of a, a increase in, in people. I have seen a, an increase in people. Don't take that wrong it's probably going up uh by 50 percent or something mm -hmm. it's gone up quite a bit however what i've really seen is it used to be public land was where the beginners were and i could just walk right past everybody and kill good deer on these islands on the uh points and stuff and you'd see these i mean just obvious points where there'd be rub lines going down them to the tip and you're like if i sit here i'll kill a buck and i'd go down there and kill a buck and it'd be right next to a parking lot and you're like how can nobody see this yeah, you don't have that no more. Now you have an educated public land hunter. You actually have serious hunters going to public land. You see people now that own private land and hunt public land too. Right. So you see a more educated, a smarter hunter on the public land who knows more what he's doing now. So that's increased more so than the numbers of hunters is the quality of the hunters, which makes it harder for a guy. But really it's supposed to be a challenge it's supposed to be fun but you like to see success in the new guys and the new guys do have a challenge there because they're dealing with a more educated hunter on the public yeah you know one of the biggest things was for a change on public was when they come up with hunt stand and onyx and things like that yeah um because i had a lot of overlooked stuff that nobody even knew was public yeah now they just glance at their phone and they know Right. And that's, that's, uh, I've heard a lot of people and say they can't that. get lost. I mean, yeah. <laughs> now they can use their phone to get out. Yeah. When they were afraid of the woods. I was never afraid of the woods. I'd go out there and didn't care if I got lost. I'd find my way out eventually, you know, but most people, you know, were concerned about stuff like that. And, uh, we're concerned about accidentally getting on the wrong land or something like that. I would actually carry paper maps at a compass, but that's the way I was raised. Yeah. So, um, more educated and they've, they've got way better tools at yeah. their disposal in their hand. They can, they can scout in their hand with, a, with the mapping, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it would be, it would be a funny uh, experiment to do on send a bunch of newer hunters out in the middle of the woods without their phones. And then it would be like survivor. <laughs> Nobody's shooting deer so they can't eat. But uh, so back to scouting, like once you've, once you've looked at a map and you're like, okay, this looks good. This looks like somewhere I want to check out. Um, once you actually get boots on the ground, what type of sign catches your eye? Because I've heard, I've, I've asked a bunch of different people how they scout. Some guys are big on finding scrapes. Some are big on finding tracks and trails. Some, some are looking for rubs and things like that. I would say from, from the starting point for this question, you've already looked on the map. You've already identified um, edges of terrain places where you know a deer would like to be once you get in there what are you expecting to find or what are you looking to find that makes you want to hang a stand i'm really focusing on deer bedding so that's why i'm looking at those edges because um for those that don't think like me just let me clarify why i'm looking at, at bedding first so i'm looking at bedding because mature deer only move a very short distance in daylight from their bedding areas um, so if you're not within that window, you're not killing that deer. So hunting on a, you know, Oak Ridge or something is probably not going to pull a seven or eight year old deer on public land to that Oak Ridge. You're probably going to have to get right up close to where he's, he's bedded. And even so, I mean, a lot of the biggest deer I've killed, I've killed 75 yards from their bed and mm -hmm. shot him at closing time. So just let that thing sink in for a minute. So when I, when I think okay, this is probably a bedding area. And this is something I want to focus on. As I slide in there, the sign I'm looking for is that a deer is coming in and out of there. Okay. It could be browse. It could be tracks. Um, if there's a deer coming in and out of there, and I think it's mature buck bedding based on a map or a terrain, I'm probably hunting it. Now, I would really like to see the sign of rubs because rubs are very well identifiable to the size of the buck and not by the diameter of the tree, but by the height. Okay. Um, younger deer um, rub trees from the knee down. 
to the center of the rub I'm talking. Mature bucks will rub, you know, about the center of your waist is the center of their rub, okay. the center of the bare spot on the tree or higher. So if you see those rubs and those rubs are fresh, that's a really good thing. I mean, that would get me excited. Okay. Um, the second thing would be a really big track coming in and out that's fresh. I want the sign to be fresh. But if something led me to believe that there could be a mature buck there, and all I can determine is there's a lot of brows coming out of there, I'm probably hanging a tree stand. Um, the biggest buck I ever shot, ever in my life score-wise, I watched that buck bed in the same spot for two years in a row. He was there almost every time there's a west wind and you couldn't get near him. It was an open area and I could watch him get out of this bed. I could watch him move from the bed. He would never get far enough to kill. Uh, finally, one day I, I, I got um, ballsy enough to crawl and, and jump up and shot him right in his bed. Uh, but my point is that scouting around that bed, you know, I went in there for sheds. I actually found one of his sheds um, right in that bed. Um, but scouting around there, there wasn't a rub or a scrape in hundreds of yards from that bed. Really? Not one. But you could tell a deer was there. You could see the trails coming out of there. So, I mean, if I skipped that over to find uh, good rubs and stuff, I'd have never killed him. Yeah. Now, obviously, it helped to have seen him there. And that's, right. you know, and that <laughs> gives you a shit. lot of confidence. <laughs> but uh, my point is, if you're skipping over um, a place that doesn't have rubs and stuff, you might be skipping over the better box because it seems to me that um, when a deer gets to be like two years old, they make a pretty decent rub. Yeah. And at two years old, they're very aggressive and they're marking up everything and they're just coming of their own. They're, they're bigger than all the year and a halfs. And they're just getting aggressive and they're becoming a breeder buck and especially on public land and they're laying down a ton of sign they're the ones that make those glowing rub lines going in and out of mm -hmm. bedding areas where you're like well this is going to be easy it's usually a two-year-old yeah mature bucks uh, it's i don't know if they learn a lesson over time or if it's more that uh um they never had that habit and that's how they got to live to be mature but if they had a habit like that they'd probably die right yeah that's a good point. so I don't see that as much with mature bucks. What I do see is in areas you have a lot of mature bucks, you do see those glowing rub lines going in and out of bedding areas from mature bucks. So I think it has something to do with like uh, competition for the beds. Okay. But a mature bucks will compete with other mature bucks, but a two-year-old ain't going to compete with a mature buck. Usually they kind of just go off to the side. So even if they do compete a little bit, I don't think the big bucks worried about them. Right what would your kind of scouting routine be for a newer guy? Would you rather come into the woods at a certain time in the morning or afternoon to scout or how kind of, how, how do you break that part of it down? So uh, hunting wise, um, I don't start hunting mornings till October 15th. I feel that's when they start moving more in daylight in the mornings. And mm -hmm. my cameras show that too. My observations have showed that. Um, and I think that varies. You get in some areas where late ruts a little later, and maybe it's, uh, you know, more like October 20th to November 20th. So I, I see it here, October 15th to November 15th is about the time frame. I see daylight morning movement. Mm -hmm. um, and then it can be pretty good, but you still, you, you really can't get right on the beds like I do. Because the bucks tend to, when they get near the bedding area, they, they swing to the downwind side. They smell the air currents before they go in there. And they go in a little different every time. The beat trails you see around the bedding areas are them coming out in the evenings. Okay. So when I hunt bedding areas, I tend to hunt more evenings. Now, I've done okay in the mornings, but usually a little further back before they start to jayhook because it's really hard to predict where they're going to hook and not get uh, upwind of them. Because they want to smell that area before they go in and make sure it's safe. Right. And uh, in the evening, they just kind of like they've been laying there all day. And I feel like they they think, well, I've been here all day. I, I'm set up to hear, smell or see anything that comes in here. And they haven't seen or heard or smelt anything. They think they're safe. They just get up and they walk out, come out oh. slow, stage out. But they're, they're very killable in the evenings at the bedding areas. So I'm kind of one like reevaluating. Does it even make sense for me to be in there? 
any time before, say, three in the afternoon. I mean, what would you, what is your take on yeah, that? I, my, my cameras and uh, my observations have showed me that um, the older bucks get into those beds like an hour or two hours before daylight. Yeah. Which makes them pretty hard to kill. They even seem to do that during the rut, but they get back up. They get back up like after daylight and they move around, yeah. you know, move several times in the day rather than stay in put. Um, but I wouldn't completely write mornings out. You know, the way I look at it is uh, you kind of got to look at how big your area is. Now, I, I hunt public land. There's public land all over the place. I got a vast area. Now, I am not going to burn up a good spot I got for the evening. If right. I think I'm going to kill something there in the evening, I am not going near it in the morning. But I might go try something that I probably wouldn't hunt anyways. Or if I got plenty of spots, I might go try something else. Um, one thing for, for newer guys, mornings are really good for middle-aged deer, like in the two, three-year-old range during the, during the uh, early rut phases when they're cruising, mm -hmm. especially if you can get into like a tangle between two bedding areas. If you got a travel route right between two bedding areas or you get right on a doe bedding area, you're going to do really good in the mornings during the rut pre-rut phase. Um, but, you know, um, most of my mature bucks on public land where there's a lot of pressure have come from early season yeah. and early season sitting, you know, on an escape out of a bedding area or a travel route out of a bedding area. Well, that's good I looked know. at my, um, my top 15 bucks, which I believe are all mature yeah. four and a half or older. And there's only one that was shot in the morning. Really? And, uh, when I was younger, I hunted every day, every morning, every evening, you know, for many, many years. But still, yet only one of those mature bucks uh, came from the morning. That's good news, though, for newer guys, or it's a good uh, tip for newer guys because a lot of us, you know, I, I myself have not arrowed a mature buck, so my idea of you know what I'm chasing is a little bit different. So that is a good thing to to keep in mind too for for guys who are just trying to get on the board, or you know, you're still in that that area of, Hey man, I'll shoot a spike if it comes out, you know? So, um, one of the things that I hear a lot from people when I go on road trips, uh, I don't just film the kills. Obviously I film the whole month mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I do it as an educational type thing. Yeah. So they'll watch my series of shows going to hunt someplace and they'll be like, well, you went there during the rut. How come you never hunted the morning? You just hunted evenings. And there's two answers for that. Number, number one is I'm in an area where I don't know that area. Mm -hmm. So I'm going in there and hunting in the morning. I'm hunting blind. I'm just walking out in the dark and climbing a tree. Yeah. Which is very difficult to get in the right spot and the right tree nor the trails come through. And number two, I got to have some time to scout. If yeah. I haven't been in that area, I, I want to go check these areas out and find a spot for the evening. It's not like I'm just going to wander out there. A lot of these guys that tell <laughs> me, well, when I go on a road trip during the rut, I hunt all day. And I'm thinking, when the hell do you look around? Yeah. Where do you scout? And you ask these guys, you know, well, well, I looked at a map and I'm thinking, and maps are great and they put you in the right area and they give you a good clue, but you can't a hundred percent trust the map. You have to get in there and look around too. Yeah. But what would you consider to be that level of how aggressive to be as a new guy and then kind of where to dial it back? So I'm getting literally within a hundred yards of these bucks. Um, there are some exceptions. I get into open hardwoods or hill country or something. A lot of times I got to get a little further back, but I have a tendency that the deer don't make it to me in daylight if I'm too far away. Not to okay. mention the trails start to break apart and they have places they can split off and get away from you. Um, so the rule of thumb with me is if you're not occasionally getting too close and jumping that deer, you're too far back. You should every now and then jump one out of the bed and say, I'm never doing this again, but you got to do it again. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you got to just keep pushing that envelope. Um, but you have to really literally be on the edge of that deer's vision, smell and hearing. Cause the way I look at it, they, they have what I call a safe zone. So put imaginary circle around that, that bedding area it might not be completely round. It might be, you know, more of like oval shaped or something, but it's, mm -hmm. There's a circle around, imaginary circle around that bed area where if you put that buck in the middle of that, he feels like he knows what's going on in that circle. If anything penetrated that circle, he'd know it. 
and he feels like he can move in daylight anywhere around in that circle and there's generally in a bedding area they have multiple beds and they'll get up mm-hmm. and move based on wind shifts based on thermals and stuff throughout the day they move quite a bit but he's going to stay within that circle and when he gets up to leave he's going to make his way out of there and for the most part they time it so they get to the edge of that circle kind of darkness Mm-hmm. so where i want to hunt is where i can shoot that buck in his safe zone but not enter an area where he's going to get me so like when i go out in spring that's the best time to really look at beds and even if you're scouting in the fall what you've seen in the spring will kind of put a mindset in you i'll go to the beds and i'll look at the exact beds in the winter time when mm-hmm. that deer's not there and leaves are down and stuff and i'll look what can that deer see how far can he see you know, what's the wind going to be doing when he's bedding here? How is he going to smell? I do some detective work in that bedding area. And I figure out when do I think he's bedding here and why? And then how far is he going to get? You know, and I put all this together. And from that bed, I'll try to look as far as I can see in the direction down that exit trail. And I'll probably go 10 or 15 yards further than that. And that's where I'll set up. Generally, there's like one tree in the whole freaking woods. <laughs> that I can that deer out of. Yeah. You know, if you think of it like that, if there's if you could go 10 yards closer or 10 yards back, you're probably not in the right spot. Most of the time where I set up, if I went in another 10 yards, that buck would come out of there screaming and blowing. Really? That's why occasionally I jump one and, and, and swear I'll never do it again, but I do it the next time because I know that's yeah. what kills them. But <laughs> yeah. it's usually, you know, a lot of times I can see those deer get out of their beds or I can at least hear them when they yep. stand up. So that's how close you got to be in order to kill them in, in daylight. When I shot the Rome legend buck, that buck was bedded 75 yards from me. I knew where his bed was. I watched him rise from his bed. I could see over the brush. Yeah. And uh, he got up a good hour before dark, maybe even more than an hour. By the time he got to me that 75 yards and I shot him, it was right at closing time. And it took him an hour to travel that 75 yards. Yep, he just I mean, what, fed his way slowly. Is that that was what I was gonna say? Is he just browsing his way through? Yep, or? browsing, looking around. He'd stop and look in different directions, and you could see he was he was really intent on what's going on around him, mm-hmm. like paying attention to everything that was going on, every little sound he'd look at and stuff. Stop, eat a little bit, look around, and uh, just took him that long to get to me. And the last question I have, scouting related: Do you find there to be a best time of day to scout? Um, I know you talked about, and I, I think a lot of us, I, I do this myself, uh, like I said, where I'll go hunt for a little while in the morning. What makes you finally say, okay, morning's a bust. I'm going to get down and I'm going to go look for stuff. I try to do it as early as possible because uh, um, if you do make a mistake, I want the deer to forget about it. A lot of times they'll hear you and stay put. They'll hide. Mm-hmm. Um, but time forgives. They'll forget about you. I mean, think about it. Think about it if you were uh, Say you're, uh, you're you're out there and somebody's trying to kill you, and uh, you hear a branch snap or something. You're gonna stare at that spot intently, right? But just like when you're hunting and you're looking at a bedding area and you're thinking about that buck coming out at you, if all of a sudden you hear a branch snap in that bedding area, you're like, "That's him. That's the yeah. buck. He's coming to me right now." You're ready. You get your bow ready. You're staring over there. You're waiting. You're waiting. Five minutes goes by and you're like, "I think it was a buck." That noise is too loud. And you're staring over there. You're looking for movement. Ten minutes goes by and you're like, I think it was a buck. You know, <laughs> a half an hour later, you can't even remember, right? Right. Yeah. During yeah. that much different. I mean, if they think there's a danger and stuff, they're going to freak out for a little bit. They're going to concentrate on it, but they're going to forget about it. So if you went through there at nine or 10 in the morning and you made a little bit of noise or or maybe even your breeze hit him a little bit mm-hmm. and, he, and he's petrified of that. But if it doesn't hit him again and he's like, the whole day goes by, he's like, okay, it was just something wandered by. More time, the better. And you got to think too, a buck, you know, um, they're more alert in the last couple hours that they're bedded. They're laying there alert. They don't even sleep much. When I put these cameras over beds and stuff, you get pictures of these bucks. I mean, they might have their eyes closed for 10 minutes in the whole day. It's that. Most of the time, they're bedded with their head up. <laughs> Makes you wonder how the hell they survive. Right. I'm, so you I'm don't a, want to go in there when they're alert. With all of that, I think that's a ton of information that that we can all put into practice. And um, 
so transitioning to a lighter topic, you have kind of a different take on camouflage. In the hunting industry, and especially for a new guy, it is shoved down your throat that you've got to have, you know, I'm not going to name names, but you know which ones I'm talking about. You've got to have this camo or you're not going to kill a deer. You know, camo from Walmart is not good enough. All this stuff, all the marketing that goes into it. Over your years of hunting, how important is camo? And is it really just more for the hunter than the deer? Or are there scenarios where you would not have killed a deer without camo? Or kind of what's your opinion on on camouflage? You know, there's times when you really need good camouflage. Um, And camouflage is always good. You need to blend in. You need to not be seen. But I don't think you need to do that with, um, you know, a $2,000 outfit. A lot of times I just blend in with flannels. And uh, as you as you noticed, blue jeans, mm-hmm. you know, as long as they're dark and not faded, faded ones pick up UV rays. But uh, all you have to do really is blend in. But that's with everything in hunting. Everything is hype. I mean, the equipment we used when I was young, I mean, nobody would even, nobody seriously would even look at nowadays. Right. But we killed, killed big bucks. Right. You know, um, all of it's hype. You, you know, um, you can't listen to most people who are uh, well-known hunters when they give advice because it's tainted. Every day, my YouTube channel gets about five or 10 offers for sponsorships. But a sponsorship is they give me free products to tell everybody that's what they should buy. Now, I won't, I won't work with a company unless it's something I already want to use and I, I like the company or whatever. I like what they're doing, but that ain't most people. Most people want to do this for a living. They need, they need the income or whatever, and they take that stuff. So they're pushing this stuff down your throat because they're making money off of it. Not because it's really what they believe that you should be using. So, uh, yeah, I don't uh, really care that much about camouflage. I mean, there's certain times like in, in winter when there's no leaves on the trees where I really got to blend in. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've killed deer out in the swamp wearing a, a, a red flannel shirt, blue jeans, and a tree that has no limbs that's as big around as my ankle, <laughs> you know, up over the top of cattails, skylit, yeah. trying to turn sideways and look like the tree. And I've, I've killed big bucks doing that. Yeah. So, you, you know, the real, the real thing is that you don't get seen. Yeah. You know, I try to blend my colors with where I'm going to go, you know, or what time of the year it is. Early season, I really don't worry much at all about camouflage. Most of my camouflage is really to hide from people. I don't really want people to know where I'm at. I kind of try to dress in a way where somebody doesn't even know if I'm a hunter. Yeah. I'm in uh, dull, flat colors, but uh, I, I could be a hiker. Yeah, I could be, for sure. You know, I could be somebody out looking for my dog, you know, unless I have a bow in my hand, they right. probably don't know I'm a hunter. Yeah, when you're up in the tree, there's, hey, I'm just trying to get a better view, lost my dog. <laughs> yeah, right. But, uh, yeah, that was one thing. That was one really interesting thing uh, that caught my attention with you when I first started out because, you know, you're you're researching all – I mean, everyone's got, you know, even, like, scientific research papers on camouflage and don't wear this color, don't wear that color, do not wear jeans, don't wear blah, blah, blah. And then here's Dan Infault in a – well, one of the times I think you were wearing like a jack-o'-lantern shirt with a flannel on and jeans. And <laughs> I mean, yeah. you were arguably, you know, one of the biggest big buck hunters in the game. And you're not out there wearing, like you said, $2,000 suits and this and that. And it just makes you wonder, like, why, why should I worry so much about it? Now, I'm sure you're probably a little bit well, I know for a fact you're a much better woodsman than a lot of us when we start out. So I'm sure woodsmanship can go into that as well. Um, if I'm just running around there in blue jeans, I'm probably going to get picked off pretty quick. But yeah, you I might just worry wanna... about camouflage a little more if you're on the ground. Yeah. And you might worry about it if you're hunting the same tree over and over again. Um, I hunt um, probably around 80 to 100 sits a year. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I think I hunt the same tree twice, maybe three times in a year. Really? So I try to keep those deer off guard. They come in, they smell where you walked. What a lot of people don't realize is those deer will know where you walked. They can smell you for a month in that spot. Yeah. So they will pinpoint those trees and they'll know where you've been. Um, most of the people I know, and, and anybody listening to this can, can attest by looking at what they've killed, yeah. is when you actually get a mature buck, you know, when it's four years old or older, almost 
like 90% of the time, it's the first time you ever sat that spot. And people who even hunt the same spots over and over and over again, will tell you the same thing. Well, yeah, you're right about that. Maybe it's a coincidence, but you're right about that particular incident or that particular buck. Yeah. But uh, that isn't a coincidence. It's happening to everybody. Those deer pinpoint the trees you hunt out of. They don't get to be six or seven years old in heavily pressured areas by not learning where you hunt. Right. And they can tell where you walk for 30 days. I, I mean, I've seen uh, videos where they do dog tracking of people, where they tra track people through, you know, like uh, like city blocks where other people have walked. And a dog differentiates that person's scent three, four days after 100 other people have walked through there on concrete. You know, you are not, you are not hiding your scent in the right. woods here. So those deer are going to pinpoint where you're going, you know. Yeah. And do you, speaking of that, do you, uh, do you do anything scent control wise or you just strictly play the wind, play the thermals and, and do it that way? I've got a really good scent control method. I use milkweed. Make sure <laughs> yeah. I know what the, the wind currents are doing. Yeah. I don't believe you can beat a deer's nose. As yep. a matter of fact, uh, you, you know, um, I wear the same clothes hunting all the time. Yeah. And uh, like my flannel shirts never get washed. My uh, hunter's vest never gets washed. I mean, it, it downright stinks. <laughs> and I don't worry about it at all. Yeah. I used to have this uh, vest. My wife was so happy when that thing finally rotted off of me. But I had this I had this vest that was just like this dull color that I really loved. It was the ugliest thing you ever saw. <laughs> I loved it. It was this big flannel kind of padded flannel shirt. Yeah. And uh, I probably killed deer for for 15 years in that thing that never got washed once and it stunk so Jeez. bad my wife would make me hang it out on the porch because it get blood and guts on it and stuff right but i wear that every time i'd go hunting and, and i killed plenty of deer in it well hey it worked it right. obviously worked it, for you you know it's a matter of not having the deer get downwind of you right you know um even when they do get downwind of you half the time they smell you and they, they don't react yeah you know um it sometimes they do sometimes they don't Mature bucks have a tendency to react no matter what, especially unpressured. Yeah. But the younger deer don't, and they kind of fool people, you know. But uh, I don't think that there's anything you can do to fool a deer's nose. And I think um, people look at it like like they smell. But what you got to remember is is deer aren't people. They can smell like a million times better than us, mm -hmm. and they have a whole different type of smelling than we do. They have a vomer nasal organ in their nose, and what that does is it separates odors. So they don't smell like uh, a blend of odors like we do. Like right. we smell cake, they would smell every ingredient of that cake separated. So they'll pick your order out of intense odors that are above and beyond your order. So um, yeah, I don't believe there's any way you can fool a deer's nose, but a lot of people in the industry make a lot of money off of scent control. So they, they promote it and push it down people's throats. but. Really, if it mattered that much, I don't think I could have ever killed all the deer I've killed. It's really about playing that wind and understanding the wind and the thermals. Moving to the the last thing I want to talk to you about is beast gear. When did beast gear start? When you actually started making sticks and... Oh, what is it? Three, four years, I think. Yeah. I think you were coming out with it right around the time I was starting hunting. Did you just want to have a, a stick and a stand of your own? Or what kind of things were you looking for particularly that made you want to kind of create your own version? Well, you know, I always worked with um, Lone Wolf and uh, years and years ago, and uh, I always felt I had a better way of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I went to them and they didn't like the idea. They said it would be too expensive to do it the way I'm doing it. And uh, so I decided to do it myself. And I just, to begin with, um, me and a friend, Mario, we're just going to design them for ourselves to hunt with. And we're kind of going to laugh as we thumbed our noses at the industry and had the greatest <laughs> stands out there. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I do R&D for a living. So I'm a professional at, at building mechanical products um, for engineering groups. So I build design and, and resolve problems. So I, I took all the problems I had with uh, modern tree stands. And at the time I started working on this, there was no such thing as a mobile tree stand. Every company out there marketed to, you know, hang and hunt or climbers. Right. That was all you had. So uh, uh, I wanted to make a stand made for mobile hunters instead of using the best permanent stand for mobile hunting. Right. So uh, 
I, I took all my design abilities at work and my engineering teams and stuff when we went to work on it and built the best stand in the world. And, uh, you know, now there's a lot of companies that copy me, but mm -hmm. we were first. I wasn't good. I wasn't going to market it, but uh, when we got it done, it was so cool and everybody wanted it. And uh, <laughs> my partner, Mario, is a really good businessman. And he was like, man, we got to just, yeah, and it wasn't really for the money. It was like, we got to release this to the public so everybody can experience this because it was so cool. I mean, going from, you, you know, um, 25 or 30 pounds of crap on your back, you know, to 10 pounds was yeah incredible. Yeah. Well, and especially someone like you, you know, all the, the scouting around you're doing and stuff and getting into, you know, however many miles, I mean, 40 pounds, isn't that bad for, you know, a half mile, but you start doing, you know, bending over, crouching down, climbing over stuff. I mean, yeah, that makes a huge difference. Well, it, it ain't just that. I mean, when you when you go and set up in a tree and you're 75 yeah. yards from a deer, try hanging a stand and going around the tree and hanging it on the front of the stand when it's, you know, really heavy. Yeah. You're going to start making noise. You're going to start flopping around trying to hold this thing up and stuff. You know, making that light stuff so you can slide into places and stuff is important too. And being able to hold it up and real slowly put it around a tree. Uh, like I said, a lot of times I'm within sight of these deer bedded. Yeah. And I'm curious, and this is a this is a lighthearted question. Take it easy on me because I am a I, I do hunt out of a saddle. What's your opinion on saddle hunting? Have you ever thought of trying it? You have, or do you have no interest? Or I, I have tried it in the past. Um, um, I made the prototypes for uh, uh, Brad Coonert's uh, saddle, and uh, he developed that many many years ago before it was popular. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, I never liked it. Um, I don't like being away from the tree. I want to blend in with the tree. Mm -hmm. um, part of that whole camouflage thing. Um, what I do is I get my back flat up against that tree. I try to turn sideways, blend into the tree. I put the limb of my bow in front of my face. And as soon as I have a shot, I shoot that deer. I don't want no tree in front of me. I don't want no tether in front of me. I don't want nothing in front of me that can block my shot. I want to take the absolute first ethical shot I have because mature bucks have such a tendency to um, detect danger around them. Mm -hmm. Whether the slightest movement, the slightest fidgeting or whatever, I can sit in that stand perfectly still. And as soon as the deer is moving, slide up to my feet, flip the seat up in the back and get up glued against that tree. Um, I have a lot of issues with the saddle. Now, a lot of my friends that saddle hunt, the reason they do is because they're afraid of heights. They feel like they're better protected when they're wrapped around and tied to the tree kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but really, the only thing holding you up is the saddle if you lean back. Yeah. I mean, in a tree stand, both your stand and your uh, harness have to give. Both yeah. of them have to fail. Saddle, all that has to fail is your, your harness. Yeah. Um, I'm not knocking a saddle. I'm just saying for me, uh, I see way more... Uh, um, drawbacks than than advantages another thing is too if you're behind the tree and shooting in front of the tree you have to cut limbs to shoot around the tree mm. you take all your cover out or if i'm in front of the tree i can leave my back cover on i can leave my side cover on right i don't have to take that stuff out uh, a lot of times i'll hunt uh, uh in areas that have no trees so those overlooked areas we didn't get into that particular part of it but i was thinking about it while we were talking is a lot of those overlooked areas tend to be really brushy areas that just have small trees. I'll get yeah. in a cedar tree, cut a hole in it, sit <laughs> yeah. in that hole and shoot out of it. No deer will ever see me in there. If I was using a saddle and I was on the back of that tree, I'd have to cut all the way around that tree and make it a pole. Right. Um, a lot of times I'll be in uh, um, a really small tree in those areas or in the middle of cattails, one tree. If you're leaning out, you really stick out. Yeah. But I can literally turn sideways and blend in with a tree that is, you know, as big around as my leg, you know, so for me, there's a lot, I can get into any tree with my tree stand. It'll, it'll go into, I've gotten into trees so small, I've had to pull three bushes together to make a tree, <laughs> but it got me elevated enough to shoot. Yeah. Um, so for me, um, I really love the stand. I mean, uh, some of the guys I hunt with still use saddles and stuff, but pretty much for other reasons. You know, what really happened with the saddles was a lot of guys were hunting out of permanent stands and permanent stands were big, bulky steel stands. 
Right. They've never experienced what I've got. Yeah. So yeah. when they went to the saddle, it was so much better than a steel bulky stand. You know what I mean? Floating yeah. around it. They went from the old school rotating through stands. So they wanted to get mobile and they went with the saddle. And that is so much better than those giant steel stands and trying to put those up and cut shooting lanes and stuff that they don't realize that there is a stand version that's adequate. And they'll never believe it because I mean, it was, they use a stand right? In their eyes and it was, you know, it was so much better to go to a saddle. Yeah. That that's exactly kind of the, the, how it went for me. You know, when I first got into hunting, you know, I was, I think a lot of us try to, you know, you're not a hundred percent sure about it yet. So you don't want to go buy um, a beast gear stand. Cause that seems, you know, really expensive compared to what, what else you're seeing. And I went and I got, I went through two or three stands and they were still the same ones you were talking about where, you know, getting it up the tree and trying to get it on quietly and you're sweating and you keep dropping it and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, when I went and got in a saddle, I was like, well, shit, this is awesome. It's light. You're not, you, you know, that you're not clanking around a tree stand, but to your point, I have not sat in one of your stands or one of the other, you know, ultralight actual mobile hunting stands to have that that experience to give an opinion so yeah i would really i'd really be curious because you know a lot of it seems like right now because it's so popular a lot of your big name guys are they're hunting out of them and you know i'm i'm sure a lot of them love it and they believe in it but it's another one of those things where if you didn't have money or a sponsorship or your career tied to it what would you really prefer and yeah, I, I'd be interested to hunt out of an actual a stand like yours where it's made for mobile, mobile hunting. It's light and all that stuff, and kind of see the difference. But yeah, hey, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I've been I've been dragging on with questions all night long. I appreciate all your time um, and all your knowledge. I mean, it's not often that uh, a newer guy like myself gets to have an hour of Dan Infault's time to just ask all the stupid questions that I've been thinking of over the last two years. So I really appreciate that. Where can people find you um, online and where can people find your products, your sticks and your stand if they want to check that out? The stand and sticks are available at huntingbeastgear.com. Um, the main place people look for me is on YouTube, mm-hmm. Hunting Beast YouTube. Or just search Dan Infault, it'll pop up. Yeah. But uh, the YouTube is really cool because I got a lot of videos that show these hunts take place, um, the whole process of it. Matter of fact, we just put up a kill hunt today. Just Josh just shot a, a nice ten pointer yesterday, opening day in Nebraska. Oh, awesome! Um, which is cool as hell, right? Yeah. And I'm gonna yeah. start bear hunting in three days. Oh, that's awesome! Everything's been pretty hectic for me leading up to that. Yeah, I bet. Where but, are you? Do, uh, where do you hunt bear at? I'll be hunting this year in Wisconsin. Cool. Uh, I got some really good bears um, showing up on the cameras. That's so I'm cool. excited about it. Um, you can also find me on, on Facebook. You can you can find me on, uh, I have a website that's uh, been around for many years. It's thehuntingbeast.com. Um, you get a membership kind of like Facebook. Mm-hmm. It takes like about a week because we check everybody out before we let them in so that we don't get spam bots and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the, the good thing about our website is it's uh, completely free speech. Anything you want to talk about, as long as you're not uh, foul mouth or you're not uh, uh, mean or disrespectful to right. other members, right. then you can talk about anything you want. If you're a new guy, you, you're going to be blown away. If you just look, look Dan up, the deer that he's killed, you are going to be shocked um and and he knows what he's doing so i hope you guys learn a lot from this episode and continue on to his youtube channel like i said i've learned so much from his channel it's not even i've learned more or i've forgotten more of it than than i've even learned i feel like there's he puts so much good stuff out there that can just make you a better hunter and you get to see dan kill just giant bucks which is fun in itself that's what we're all doing it for so it's great to see but yeah guys check him out make sure you're following along over on instagram that's at antler feather co we're also on youtube that's antler and feather co all one word with the and sign make sure you don't put any spaces in there because i don't know what is going to pop up at that point point. and we're also over on facebook 
So if you guys like this show, if you learned something new, if you feel like you were able to add another tool to your arsenal due to something you heard on the show, please take a second to like, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. It's super easy. If you're on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and pull up our page in the top right corner. You're going to see a little plus sign. If you click that, you're going to be following the show. From there, you can scroll down a little ways. That gives you an opportunity to rate and review on Apple. If you're on Spotify, you can just go right below our picture. There's going to be an area for you to subscribe there and also give a five-star review. And if you're on YouTube, you're going to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. That way you don't miss anything we got coming out over there. I say all this, guys, not because it makes me money, because it definitely doesn't. But when you guys follow, rate, and review, it helps a podcast get in front of more people, which is going to allow me to keep getting great guests on the show so that you can continue to learn and make yourself a better hunter. I appreciate every single one of you guys. I really do. All of you are awesome. I appreciate all the support. And we are going to catch you guys next week. This is the Antler and Feather Co. Podcast. You are listening to the Antler and Feather Co. Podcast. <laughs>